This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Matt Edwards from MoabProvisions.com explained how he sold six figures by going door-to-door with retailers. In this episode, you'll learn how three co-founders drive traffic from Reddit without coming across too salesy. In this episode, you'll learn how to delegate tasks to your team and ensure the work gets done, how to know if you should find a partner or outsource, and how to avoid getting burned when posting your business on Reddit. Today, I'm joined by Kevin, Garrett, and Joe from Wax and Wicca, which is at waxandwick.co. Wax and Wick sells small batch handcrafted 100% soy candles with wood wicks and was started in 2015 and based out of Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, guys. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about your, your store and um, you know, what are these candles that you sell? Uh, well, we started in 2015, and the candles are all uh, small batch, handcrafted, 100% soy, and we use uh, real scents instead of flowery scents. Think woodsy instead of flowery. And uh, we just found the highest quality glass and the best manufacturer we could um, while keeping the cost low and the profits high. Very cool. So how did you come up with the idea for, for this uh, this product? Because like you're saying, it's different than what you would typically find you walk into you know, any big retailer. Um, you said wood scents rather than flowery scents. So what made you uh, kind of focus on that specific uh, angle? We started out uh, actually trying to become a man candle company. And we realized that there was a broader audience than just men buying candles. So we kind of focused instead of on manly scents, just real woodsy scents instead of uh, like the typical lavender and uh, linen scents. We wanted to find something that was more realistic. Uh, So we kind of went on down the line and found the best fragrance companies we could and, uh, and just, you know, pick through their stock and and use our noses to find the ones that were uh, the, I guess the closest representation of what we were looking for. It was built for us and then we just kind of moved it out to the public. Mm. So you said you started out wanting to be a man candle company. I never heard that phrase before, but that definitely makes sense now that I think about it. Uh, how did you know, how did you find out that you guys weren't going big enough, that there was another big market that you didn't tap into? I think a lot of what we found was that when we did our research to see how many uh, or what the demographics were of who purchased candles, we found that uh, most of the time it was women that purchased candles. Uh, what we also found is that a lot of women actually do like the the sense of um, woodsy smells or real scents per se. Uh, not all of our scents are woodsy, but they are definitely real scents. They are not made up names or made up uh, fragrances that that you see in a lot of different candle stores and and out at your general retailer. Mm, makes sense. So, what, did you guys have uh, experience starting businesses? Are you entrepreneurs in your past? Like, what's been your what was your background prior to coming together to start this business? Uh, Garrett would be our head entrepreneur here. We have uh, we all have day jobs currently. Um, 
But Garrett would be our, our head entrepreneur here. We all have uh, like side businesses that have failed, and this is kind of our our venture that is the is the most you know, I guess the most profitable for us. Um, I used to run a record label a bunch of years ago that didn't work out. Where you know I'm an engineer by day. Garrett runs his own company, and uh, Joe's uh, an IT professional. So we we have a little bit of experience, but we all just wanted to have something on the side, you know, you know, protecting our futures. Basically, Garrett and I have children, and Joe has a mortgage to pay. So the real important thing is just making sure that we're set up in the future for when the uh, for when anything happens, you know. Mm. So was the was the goal to for all of you to just have some income of your own, like diversified income, so that you could be protected or you could, you know, pay uh, for any upcoming expenses? Like, what was the original goal when you got into uh, starting a business together? You know, I mean, we all kind of wanted to get into the e-commerce field just because we see, um, you know, that's kind of where the markets are going. So. Wax and Wick was kind of a good um, way to, you know, test that market and see, um, you know, how viable it was for us. Yeah. So you said that you all had side businesses or some of you had side businesses that did not uh, work out, that that uh, did fail. What do you think was different about the other businesses compared to Wax and Wick that uh, changed things for you where you actually did finally start getting traction and actually were able to set up a business that was getting sales and, you know, that was a legit business and it wasn't, uh, you know, a failure like the past ones? We, uh, we originally tried to actually seek out a manufacturer for our candles and then we realized that we could just do it better and we found that when we started doing it ourselves the product was a hundred percent better than anybody else's product out there when we first received our samples from the company that we reached out to everything smelled like leather so we kind of went back to the drawing board and realized that we could make these candles in our kitchen and eventually you know uh ramp it up to actual production in a, in a manufacturing manufacturing facility. Um, but I, I guess the failures of the past for me lie in, we, I didn't have any support group. You know, there's three of us that are running this. So if one person's lagging, the other two guys pick it up. If two guys are lagging, the one guy's running the show. I mean, it's really, we can just kind of separate duties and separate uh, our responsibilities and cut it up so that we're all, making strides forward and it's never backward and there's nothing ever falling by the wayside. Nothing's ever missed. I, like our original failures for me were just not having enough time in the day and just being a one man show, having two other guys to help out is, is key. I think one other thing that that's helped make us successful is we're not bound by geographic region to our local radius of, of, you know, 20, 50, a hundred miles. Um, you know, breaking into the e-commerce space has really allowed us to branch out uh, to people who have an interest in the same product worldwide, um, you know, there's not a, a country that we won't ship to if there's somebody who's interested in the product. Um, you know, we found that we've had a lot of interest in, in the UK, Europe um, and, and other countries out there. So I think that also being able to sell online and the e-commerce business, uh, you know, Shopify has definitely empowered us to expand our, our global markets. So when you were uh, trying other businesses in the past, those were all like local businesses and not online. Was that is that what you're getting at? That's correct. We've all done local brick and mortar retail businesses. Um, you know, not to say that they haven't you know had some success or been successful. Uh, again, you know, it's much more limiting when you're working in a, a local area radius of you know 100 even you know 250 miles if 
you know, some of the, the businesses have been service businesses. So being that we're able to, you know, find customers worldwide or, or nationwide really is, is at this point what we really focus on has really been helpful. We found, you know, interest in all parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So for any other listeners out there that are in that situation where they have experience selling locally or have local businesses or local services and want to make this transition online, what skill sets what skill sets do you think that you guys had to learn or pick up when you made that transition into e-commerce? I think that there's a lot that's involved, uh, a lot that we had underestimated, a lot that, you know, we really had to spend a lot of time in figuring out that you can pay consultants to um, help you with it. You're, you're really trying to figure out who your target market is, the best way to target them, um, whether it be through ads online or, or being able to, um, you know, really figure out how to get a good design that'll capture your audience's attention. Uh, when you think of a website and being able to try to capture your uh, your audience, you have, you know, just a few seconds before somebody decides whether or not the web page they're on is, is something that they have further interest in and continue to browse your site for other products and services that you offer or if they're going to move on to the next site. So I think that one thing that we really had to spend the time to figure out is how to how to get a good, um, you know, a good return on people that, that want to stay on the site and, and purchase something. And we've done that through our branding, through the look and feel of our website. Uh, so a lot of that is um, graphic design stuff, how to target your customers. Um, there's definitely been uh, some uphill battles that we've been successful at winning at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you certainly do have uh, a lot less time to make a good first impression online compared to offline because, like you're saying, people are just a click away. They can come to your site and if they don't like the way it's presented, they don't like the design, they could. It's very easy for them to leave. You know, that's different when you're working people face to face in a local business or local pro- selling local products, local services. People aren't going to aren't as likely to just you know walk away as you're talking to them like they would online. So what about the uh, skill sets that transferred over well like what what things did you uh, take from the offline world that that you definitely continue to use now that you're selling in e-commerce just the ability to delegate certain tasks to people that are better at doing it than we are we certainly have our skill sets Uh, Joe's good with graphic design I'm good at copywriting Garrett's a very good uh, salesman and a pitch man Um, but there there's just certain things that we are not very good at we are not the best photographers we're not the best marketers. We're trying to be better than everybody else at that. But it's, you know, if we can hire somebody to do that work for us, we can take something away from it so that the next time we attempt to make that, uh, you know, to tick that off the list, then we can handle it. But until then, you know, delegation for us has been absolutely crucial. Mm. So because, you know, you, this is all very new for you guys because you spent so much time uh, selling and creating businesses offline now that this is the in the e-commerce space. What do you think it is then about you, the combination of you guys that allows you to be successful? Because the way that you talk about this, it sounds like it's still very much a learning process for all of you. But you have a business that's generating sales. So what is it that you think actually gives you the ability to to create a business online, even though it's so new for you? I think one of the major things that allows us to be successful is that we really stick to our, our true core values. Um, number one being the type of product that we offer. And number two being that the product we offer needs to be the best. Um, you know, in picking out the fragrances that we have, we only have a small handful, whereas if you go to you know a candle store, you're probably going to find a couple hundred, if not more, fragrances that they offer. Um, 
we've gone through hundreds and hundreds of fragrances to narrow it down to the uh, very select handful that we have. Everything goes through uh, heavy testing to make sure that it is a product that everybody would like, um, a product that, that belongs either on a retail shelf or on our website. So being able to offer something that is has really been tested and of high quality and value has really allowed us to succeed, making sure that anybody who purchases is going to get what it is that they were hoping for. Uh, and, and I think that we stand behind our product. If anyone has issues, we're more than happy to work with them on that. Um, and we've really found that you know being true to ourselves, being true to the product, and being true to our customers has really been helpful for us. And how do you make sure that, that comes across? You know, because I hear what you're saying about having a great product, so that when people do buy your products and do use it, they uh, really appreciate it and uh, understand the value that you're providing, so they'll come back and buy from you again. But for the first time visitor or first time uh, potential customer. How do you make sure that those things go come across? Like you're talking about the true values that you guys have. Like how do you make sure that actually comes across for someone that's brand new to finding out about your your brand? So we allow all of our users to leave a review if they choose to do so once they purchase the candle. So as you know, I mean, the market is really trended towards reviews. So if they see the reviews of other customers that have purchased the product, then a lot of times that's going to, you know, help them in their buying decision. So I think that, um, you know, the reviews have been very helpful in getting, um, you know, people to purchase the products. Mm, makes sense. So even though they are not, they haven't experienced it yet, but because you, you have a great product and you put it into the hands of past customers, those reviews have convinced or helped you sell uh, additional products to new customers. Right. Makes sense. So, um, again, one thing I want to touch on is that just hearing you, you, you talk, you guys talk, you talk a lot about what's been successful for you for you guys is that you're able to work as a team. You're able to work with each other. You know, I heard a lot about delegation, about hiring, about obviously your your three person uh, partnership. How do you? Let's start with the the partnership first. You know, what uh, what steps did you guys take early on to make sure that this would be a solid partnership? Because I think this is a real concern for a lot of uh, new business owners, anyone that's listening, that's thinking about starting a business with a partner, they've heard the horror stories about, you know, partnerships gone bad, or they've heard about people not holding their weight. Like, what did you guys do to make sure that you were, you know, set up to for success in, in your partnership? When Joe and I kind of started out, you know, we've been friends for 15 years, so it was really easy to become partners. Um, we hadn't done anything in business before, but um, I have a tattoo shop. Um, Garrett has his closed circuit television t- company and, uh, Joe's got a, a, like a computer website on the side that he does for helping, uh, you know, helping with, uh, like a help desk, a help desk. Yeah. So choosing, choosing our partners was relatively easy cause we've all been friends, uh, for 15 plus years. Um, and our successes in the, in the retail and brick and mortar space has just kind of been. I don't know, a catalyst for seeing the way that we're, we all can work together. I mean, if we can all run businesses separately, I don't think there should be any difficulty running one together. Mm. What do you think about people that do say that you should never start a business with friends or family because it could ruin friendships and, and, and relationships with your family? Do you, what are your thoughts on that, on that statement? Well, you've got to be careful. I mean, you can't just get into business with any friend. I mean, it's gotta be a friend that you know um, you're going to work well with. Uh, Cause I mean, you know, as you get older, it's harder and harder to make friends. So the last thing you want to do is burn a bridge with mm-hmm. a good friend. 
Um, but, uh, I mean, really it, it just comes down to knowing your friends and knowing, you know, who you're going to work well with. Makes sense. So it obviously it worked out for you guys because you all have different skill sets that you bring to the table. If you were to give advice to somebody that's thinking about partnering up with, uh, you know, one or two other people, are there, I guess not questions, but are there things that you guys should answer together to, to figure out if you would make a good partnership? I mean, we kind of, just are flying by the seat of our pants really when it came down to it. We, uh, we started out, you know, really knowing each other, but not knowing each other's businesses. The best advice I would say is, you know, just don't dive in too deep. You have Mm -hmm. to test the waters before you fully give up any control. And, you know, if somebody brings something good to the table, awesome, but you got to make sure that you can, you know, vet them out. And if, if they're not bringing anything to the table, then, it's just going to dissolve more quickly than you can imagine. And I think one thing that's really been um, helpful for us to to make sure that we don't end up in that position is uh, all of us determined where our commitment was to making this business work um, in terms of time involved, um, what was needed, financials, and, and everything that we could possibly think of um, to make that happen and also having an exit plan if somebody wanted out that that mm-hmm. option was available and that we would not, um, nobody wouldn't have hard feelings. Uh, of course, that's hard to say when somebody is ready to exit. But uh, at this point, it's, it's worked out well, knowing what the commitment is to the company, regardless of other personal um, or, or other things that happen in, in life, that we do have a commitment to this company um, and, and to make it work. And, and we're all keeping to that commitment, which has really helped us become successful at this point. And we've also separated our tasks and responsibilities so that way we're not all stepping on each other because if you're working on the same things, then uh, you know you could cause some friction. So we separate everything and we know what our responsibilities and uh, goals are and you know we're, we all keep each other accountable to maintain those goals. I like the idea of exit plans to make sure that there is a way, even though you never use it, just, the, I, just thinking that far ahead, it makes, I think, everyone feel comfortable getting involved in the first place, knowing that if they had to you know, make a decision to leave, it would be, uh, it's kind of already planned out, not planned out, but you already know the process for that. And I think uh, another thing that you guys touched on that uh, it makes a lot of sense is the priorities thing and about how much time commitment everybody has. I've seen a lot of uh, partnerships uh, dissolve or have you know uh, really bad breakups because people don't have the same priorities where this might be a number one priority for one business owner, but the other business owner has something else going on and it's a secondary priority. And you can't have that forever because eventually you get to a point where someone's putting in way more effort, is way more committed than the other, and that's when resentment builds up and that's when things kind of come to a head. Um, so you also talked about the, the separation of tasks and responsibilities. I think that's also important to lay out as soon as possible so that when the when the you know the, the, the race starts and everything's going so quickly, you don't want to spend too much time discussing, hey, you know, are you doing this or am I doing this? And it just slows things down and also uh, could, again, you know, end up in a lot of disagreements because it wasn't laid out up front. So how do you guys, how did you guys approach this? How do you decide who should be taking on what from the beginning and then as tasks, as responsibilities come in, how do you delegate those as well? I think it's a matter of um, figuring out who would be best fit for the task based on um, you know what the task is and, and what our skill set is. 
being that we do have a prior relationship to the company, um, we're all in tune to what each of us are, are very good at. And so that helped figure out what tasks should be assigned to what person. Uh, so I, I think that's been one thing for us. Yeah. And we talk it out, you know, we, 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 we'll get, you know, we use Gchat a lot or Google Hangout. I mean, um, and we just discuss what's going to work best, who's going to do this the best. And, you know, we kind of figure out who wants to handle different things. And then we usually have a, a running uh, like drive or, or some uh, sort of uh, Excel sheet. So that way we all know, is it completed? Yes or no. So that way we don't have to ask each other. We just know, you know, where we're at with that project. And we're looking into like the pulse, different things like that, different project management solutions just to kind of make things a little more robust. I think that's one thing that should should definitely be, uh, you know, notated is that although we're all three friends and from generally the same area, there is definitely, you know, a, a 45 to an hour difference in time between where we all live. So um, being able to keep tasks organized online and being able to have uh, a transparent view of what the other people are doing is really helpful in seeing where things stand, what needs to be accomplished still, um, and, and really helping us juggle the tasks at hand. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, now if I want to think, you know, way far out into the future, let's say, you know, Wax and Wick has become super successful and you guys are thinking about starting something new again, maybe you sold the company, you think about starting something new, based on your experience so far working within a partnership, do you not, not, not so much what you want to, but do you feel like you would, would succeed on your own or would you feel, you know, based on your experience so far, would you feel like you always would want to partner up moving forward? Is that almost like a prerequisite now, now that you guys have experience in this or, you know, maybe we'd love to hear from each one of you. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would definitely want to go back in business with these two, uh, just because, I mean, they have different things to add to the, to the mix than I do. I mean, uh, Joe's great at graphic designs, um, web design, different things like that. Kevin's great with social media, um, social marketing. Um, so, I mean, we all have different things to, to lend. So, I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to do it alone um, because then, I mean, that's it just wouldn't work as effectively. So I, I would definitely go back in business with them again. We're also talking about starting another company, um, you know, down the road. So we've already kind of, started, you know, moving forward with some other things. I would agree with what Garrett said. Uh, you know, I definitely would go into business with these guys again. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely, there's there's difficulties in doing so. But at the end of the day, uh, we've got three brains versus, versus one. Uh, and being able to sort of set our differences aside and be able to determine what's best for the company, what's best um, for the future of the company is really helpful in, in having other people's views and being able to see that, um, you know, we're not selling to just ourselves, we're selling to the public. So uh, there's going to be different opinions and being able to figure out what it is that's going to make us successful definitely helps by having uh, other great business partners that, you know, put in their opinions or views and, and none of us are hurt by, you know, the other's opinion, even if it, if it goes against my thought or, or any of their thoughts. Um, I guess to add to that, you know, three brains are definitely better than one. Um, when it comes down to it, having a single founder for a company, I mean, and you end up at the end of the day spreading yourself too thin and there's really nobody to bounce ideas off of. You know, if I have an idea in the middle of the day, I can just shoot uh, 
a Google Hangout to these guys and just ask for an opinion. And I mean, it could be two o'clock in the morning and I'd get an answer or I'll get an answer the next morning. Um, if there's any difference of opinion, um, you know, we just, we just talk it out. I mean, we're three grown adults. We have a pretty good rapport with one another. Um, we can, you know, we can just really move forward on anything with the three brains working together. So I certainly would, you know, continue doing business with these guys and, you know, the next ventures are coming around the corner and, you know, when they do come around the corner, it's going to be the three of us, I think for the, for the long haul here. Mm. So this is a question that's actually come up a few times with entrepreneurs that I've spoken to recently, which is uh, they are solo founders and they're trying to make it work, obviously struggling because, not obviously, but obviously harder because, again, they're not, they're only one brain and you guys, like you're saying, three brains are better than one. If you are if you already have an existing business and are struggling and feel like the issues because you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of, or you feel like you don't have the time or expertise to handle everything, do you think that it's a good idea to partner up when you already have an existing business? Let's say it is also a business that has some revenue that is profitable, uh, but just not to the point where you want it to be. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, would you ever partner up or bring on a partner if you've started a business by yourself and are you know struggling or just feel like it should be bigger than it, it is currently? Absolutely. I mean, I think if you're in business and, you know, the business is doing well, but there's still certain things missing, I would say you should definitely get a partner, but just make sure you're very careful on who you take on and, you know, also make sure that they have, um, you know, the skills that you're missing. You know, you don't want to have the exact same skills because then you're just going to be butting heads all the time. Not only that, what's the point of bringing somebody on if, you know, they've got the same skill set as you? So you're going to want to find somebody who's got different skill sets than you, you know, really do your homework, make sure that they're, um, you know, a good, honest person and that they're going to contribute, um, you know, to your success. And the track record is, is, is super important. But um, essentially, you know, you're just going to want to make sure they have skills that you're lacking. They're going to help your company succeed. But if you just go and kind of pick a random person or don't flesh out who they are before you take them on, you could certainly complicate uh, any strife or problems you already have. And definitely leave an out, you know, like a 90 day grace period, six month grace period, something like that. So that way, if it doesn't work out, you can just shake hands, walk away, um, you know, if you've invested, you know, all your time and money into this company, you know, be very careful on, on, uh, you know, how you, uh, you know, commit to that uh, agreement. I like that, that idea of having a, a set period of time. And one thing that I was thinking about when you guys are talking about not going fully in and too deep when you are just beginning a partnership, one approach that I've seen work well is just to work on a small project together. It could be related or it could be unrelated to what you guys might eventually want to to, to build together, uh, but just, just to feel each other out, you know, and I think... Uh, this idea of um, finding a, a a partner is just like any other thing you do when it comes to like marketing or starting a business. You want to try to test out how this can work at a small scale first. And if it, th- it does work, then you try to scale it, scale it up. Then you go really deep and you know invest everything into it. And you know the, the way that you do your marketing, the way you grow your business, should be the same thing. I think when you when it comes to partnerships, test it at a smaller scale. If it seems to work at a smaller scale, then you start you know. Uh, basically turning into a real partnership. Uh, so what, 
one thing you you guys mentioned was about uh, not picking a partner that has the same skill sets as as you, which is funny because a lot of times we gravitate towards people that are like us that have to, that are interested in the same things or good at the same things, and we start to think, oh, you know, since we we already have so much in common, we they must be a good partner. But when it comes to business, when it comes to finding a partnership, you're saying, and this is definitely what uh, true is that you want to find someone that complements you that fills in the gaps that you're missing and you fill in the gaps that they're missing. But how do you identify that? Like, how do you take an objective look at yourself and what do you guys do? You know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's, there's no process you follow, but maybe kind of uncover for us, like what's the thought process that you go through to find out what you're not good at and what you are good at so you know what kind of partner to bring on or what kind of person to, to, uh, to hire even? Well, I mean, I know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are. So, I mean, it really just comes down to being honest with yourself and, uh, you know, just knowing what you're not good at. So once you figure that out, then the rest is easy. You know, you just got to find somebody who offers things that, you know, you're, you're lacking, um, and, uh, you know, take it from there. It's, it's really about dropping your ego. You know, anytime we enter a room, uh, the three of us, it's, you know, we leave the ego at the door and we can discuss things the way they're supposed to be discussed. It's not about who's right. It's about what is best for the company. Right. Um, I don't remember the, who this quote should be attributed to, but it's it kind of goes along the lines of, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. If you're the smartest guy in the room, you got to change the room. Right? Yeah, whatever, whatever like it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we really, you know, we can leave here and, you know, you can think, we can think whatever we want about ourselves, but at the end of the day, it's best to admit to yourself, if you're just not good at something, find somebody who's better than you at that and, and make a friend. There's nothing to lose by learning something from somebody else. And the only way to do that is to drop any type of ego you have um, and just, you know, absorb any information somebody will give you and, and go from there, really. Mm-hmm. I th- there's also like a dangerous uh, area where you can get into where there is like a a task, a responsibility that that is a gray area where it's uh, something that a skill set that's required. And let's say a skill uh, a task comes down the line, and you guys, some of you might feel like you know I could get good at that, or I could I'm kind of good at it. I could get better at it. Um, how do you decide to say no? Let's hire somebody for that versus getting someone to just you know spend the time to get better at it like how do you make that decision so uh we have actually had different projects where we've spent three months on them you know just because our times uh you know we don't have a ton of time so it takes a lot longer for us to do certain tasks just because there's only so many hours in the day and uh we realized that uh delegating is key so this one project we spent three months on it and then we're like you know what one night we're all on hangout and just decided, you know what, let's try and um, outsource this. So we outsourced it, and literally it was done in three days. Something that we had been working on for three months was done in three days. And, um, you know, it was a minimal cost to get it done. But, I mean, we've really learned that delegating is key, so key. Because, I mean, we can't learn everything. We can't do everything. So we have to delegate and have people do what they're good at, and we'll do what we're good at. Mm. So what what do you think is how do you decide whether to again if you're a solo founder how do you decide if you have a task have like an area of your business that you just don't have the skill set for how do you know whether you should hire 
somebody do this, like an outsourced freelancer, like you you just talked about in your example, or bring on a partner that's good at that thing? Like, how do you make that uh, distinction? I think if it's if it's one task, sure you can go and find it on uh, Elance or um, Odesk. Or Odesk. Odesk, yeah. You know, if it's a, if it's a one-off project, you think you can't complete it, then go talk to you know somebody and, and pay them an hourly wage. But if it's you know if you're if you're just not good at a, a more than one thing and you think you could really benefit from having another brain or another set of hands or another set of eyes looking at it, then definitely look for a co-founder. Or two co-founders in our case. <laughs> and, and I think what it comes down to is is really sort of what we touched on, on earlier is knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at and, and really leaving your ego at the door. Uh, you know, the truth of it is nobody can be good at everything. And so if you know, if, you, if you're true to yourself and know what you're not a master at, uh, it, it makes it a lot more reasonable to want to go out and, and find somebody who can do the job and do it to the best of, of, you know, their knowledge or to, to fit the, um, goals and, and needs of the company. Um, I think that we want to keep everything as strong and as good as possible. And so that really helps knowing that it needs to be, you know, up to par. And if it's not, we need to go out and find somebody who can do it up to par. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about outsourcing a bit more because I think, again, this is a stage that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs uh, get. Not, they don't get tripped up on this, but it does slow their business down, right? They get to a point where they have a strategy to, or they have a task that they need, they need to get done, a project they need to get done, like the three-month project that you guys talked about. Um, and then they just kind of try to persist, right? Because I think as entrepreneurs, what we're really good at is persistence, right? Just sticking it out, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. Um, and sometimes it's better, you know, not for you to do it, right? Like you're saying, you find someone else to do it for you. So do you always uh, take this approach where you guys try to do it first internally and then hire out for it or like are you at this point now where you're, you're like let's just hire out for everything that we were where that's not part of I guess our core competency I think that's sort of where the learning process comes in that we've talked about uh, you know part of the learning process has been that the first time around we spent three months trying to accomplish something that we could have easily outsourced and had done in three days as we eventually did um, so part of the learning process as any entrepreneur knows no entrepreneur wants to believe that they can't do something. Part of the mindset of being an entrepreneur is that that you will be successful, you will make it happen, and you will make it work. Uh, some of the learning processes is determining and figuring out that you may not be the best fit for that specific task and being able to delegate that or get a contractor in for that specific task. So I think that um, part of the learning process for us has been trying to figure out where the time needs to be invested and whether or not our time is best invested into a specific project. And if not, uh, outsourcing it and, of course, figuring out the cost of outsourcing and, and whether or not it's financially beneficial to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, an interesting point, too, about it, whether it it's financially uh, beneficial or not, this kind of Cost analysis, cost benefit analysis. You know, because there are certain tasks that will clearly save you money if you outsource it. Then there are others that are just saving you time. You know, you can argue that obviously that time is more valuable than money. But then, how do you? 
how do you how do you approach this? Like, how do you decide or how do you calculate whether it's going to be a good move or not to to outsource something? Um, again, if looking at the the time savings or the actual uh, money savings. So a lot of time we will try and you know do the task on our own, and then if it ends up taking too much time. Um, you know, or we're just lacking, um, you know, the talent to do it, then we'll just go ahead and, you know, delegate from there. It's just being able to recognize that we can or can't do something. I think that's, that's part of our, we, uh, you know, we can pick out our weaknesses, you know, we see what we're good at and what we're bad at and, you know, going through and it's a, there's a learning curve to it. You know, um, when you, when we first started out, we, we made the candles ourselves in my mom's kitchen. And then it turned into Joe's kitchen. And then we took it to somewhere else to make sure that we could fulfill orders. And it was perfect every single time. We recognized that we couldn't do it all hands on by ourselves and then made the decision to outsource it. That's kind of the first step we took into outsourcing. Before that, we didn't do any type of outsourcing at all. But once we recognized our weaknesses, we could capitalize on that by hiring somebody to do it better than us. Mm-hmm. And it's. It's all handcrafted still, hand, um, small batch. Um, the process hasn't changed in any way. It's just kind of moved from our hands to, um, you know, another company here in Chicago that's going to, you know, they handle all fulfillment. They handle everything for us. So literally now all we have to do is handle the marketing, handle the website. Um, you know, we can really focus on what's important to us. You know, we were doing everything. We were boxing the candles. We were shipping the candles. We were making the candles. I mean, at the end of the day, we just realized, you know, we can't do everything. We need to we need to focus on what's going to grow the company, and that's you know not personally hand making the candles ourselves. So we move that um, move that out, and since then we've our numbers have soared. Um, you know, everything has changed just because now we can focus on growing instead of, you know, now we're working on the business, not in the business. You know, and I think that's a really important piece to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, other than the the uh, manufacturing that part that you've outsourced, I think you mentioned uh, Odesk, which I think they've rebranded now to Upwork. Uh, Upwork. How, yeah. yeah. How do you? Um, what, what is the uh, the hiring process like? How do you? identify, you know, because I think a bunch of us have used companies like Upwork or any other kind of marketplace like this. You put up an ad, all of a sudden you get, you know, 60 people replying to you immediately. Most of them probably didn't even read the job listing. How do you make sure that you're going to have a successful hire when you go through these kind of marketplaces that are, you know, often, I wouldn't call them spammy, but they're not it's the highest quality, I guess. Uh, it's not like you're hiring somebody locally, for example. How do you make sure that you're going to get a good result? So basically, we look at their skill sets, you know, make sure that they're qualified to do what we want them to do. Then we look at the reviews, we read the views, read the reviews. Um, and then from there, we'll do like a, a small task for them, you know, kind of test the water, make sure that they're capable. And then, um, you know, if we're still unsure, we'll do another task, you know, just a small one, and then we'll actually do the the real um, the real test, um, which is going to be the project. Um, but you know, trial and error is really the way to go. You got to try a bunch of people sometimes to get the right one. But we've had a lot of success with it, and um, you know, we'll we'll for sure continue to use it. It's like uh, when we first started, we. We were looking to save money because we're, you know, completely bootstrapped and we went through Fiverr to have our logo designed and we literally got back things that people crafted up in Word that we could have done and which laughed we, at ourselves. Which we knew was going to happen, but, right. you know, 
it's still fun to you know have the idea of a five dollar logo, but at the end of the day, it just was not feasible. And how much did it end up costing? It, it was two ninety nine through ninety nine designs, and it it blew. There was one guy that sent us a design that blew everybody else out of the water, and we've just continued using them for any design work that we couldn't do ourselves. Let's talk about ninety nine designs. I haven't actually had that brought up on a podcast at all, but I'm also a big fan of them. Like, give us give for anyone that's listening that doesn't know how it works. Tell us about ninety nine designs and how you guys use them. Um, so I discovered them through Tim Ferriss's podcast and I used a discount code to catch a break on that first order. But basically you, you make a description of what you want designed and, uh, people, it creates a contest and people kind of vie for your attention and send you different designs and you can pick through them and have them make revisions until you're satisfied. And then you end up with the final copies. Um, they are your property after, um, after it's been created and handed over to you. But um, you, you can flesh out anybody by the first design they send over. I mean, I think we got 102 designs over the course of like six days or seven days. And we knew by day three who we were going with um, and just had them make revisions until we were happy. It was, I, for me, I think it was the easiest design process we've gone through just because of the competition aspect of it. Um, those guys are hungry, or those guys and girls are hungry and they're looking, they're looking to get their designs out there and, you know, we got first, you know, a grade quality work from somebody and, uh, they turned into not really a team member, but you know, whenever we go to extension of the team, yeah, really. if we need somebody to design something for us to the first person we call after, you know, we go through our, our lead designer here, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, uh, with nine, nine designs, uh, again, just to kind of recap, it's like a contest you're essentially creating for people to, to create the best sort of the design that, that uh, you want. And then you get to pick from the, the group and say, this is the one I want. And like you're saying, it's not just you're buying the logo or buying the design as is you can continue working with, continue to work with them to get revisions made. And of course, moving forward, because you have their contact information, and everything, you can continue to work with them without having to go through this whole contest phase again because it takes you know it could take a couple weeks it could take a week at least um so how do you make sure when you are hiring people hiring freelancers whether it be for design or uh, whatever you're using upwork for how do you make sure that the work gets done like how do you because these aren't you know these aren't your partners these aren't people that you see face to face they're not coming into your office how do you make sure that the work gets done well for design work we like to eye it before we buy it but uh, really, at the end of the day, I think Garrett has a pretty good idea of how we handle uh, like the Upwork guys. And yeah, we just don't we just don't pay until they're done. You know, like they do the project when we see that it's fulfilled, then we pay them. It's pretty straightforward. Mm, that makes sense. Um, okay, cool. So let's talk. Actually, start talking about the the marketing. So I think um, in the pre-interview uh, phase, uh, we asked the we were talking about like, you know what has been successful for you marketing wise. And you mentioned a couple of things, um, but I want to sp- talk specifically about Reddit. So you use Reddit a lot early on to get, I think, get your first customer, and you still continue to drive traffic from Reddit. Tell us a little bit about how. Well, a how did you get your first customer through through Reddit? Our first customer was actually through Instagram, and it was. Uh it was a kid from Canada that for some reason believed in us and it took us one full month to fulfill his order. And he's still a repeat customer uh, today, which I mean, I don't know if that's a win, but I think that I think we've done well if we captured our first customer, it took a month to fulfill and he still buys candles from us. 
Yeah, I, I think most people would be like uh, wondering where their money's at. But yeah, if they believe in you that much, stuck around that, that's amazing. Um, yeah. so, so I guess Reddit specifically then, I, it wasn't for your first customer, but you've driven traffic and sales from there. What 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 worked through there? Because you know, I think you mentioned this a little bit in the pre-interview and I think anyone that's been on Reddit or tried to market through Reddit had, has gotten burned if they haven't done it the right way. So tell us about the process that you've taken that has been successful for you. So one... one one thing that we did was, you know, in the beginning, we weren't sure if we wanted to do a gender neutral candle or a man candle. So we wrote, um, you know, a small little piece on, you know, man candle versus gender neutral candle. And we explained our story. You know, we're looking for um, the, a candle that, you know, is more masculine because it's been hard for us to find those on the market. So we're trying to create something that will f- kind of fill that void. And um, when we wrote that, I mean, it just kind of blew up. We got tons and tons of comments because, you know, you're asking somebody to engage. You're like, hey, should we start this business and focus on one thing or another thing? So when you're, you know, when you get people to engage, I think that's really, um, you know, what helps things, you know, kind of go not not necessarily viral, but kind of, you know, go big. And um, and you're, you're asking them these questions or you're getting involved without ever asking them to buy anything, right? Was that, is that the key point? We weren't asking them to buy anything. We were just saying, hey, this is our company, Wax and Wick. You know, go to waxandwick.co, see if, um, you know, um, kind of check out the brand, see what you think. And what, do you think we should do man candles or gender neutral candles? Because, you know, I want to say, I, I don't know the exact statistic, but like 80% of candle buyers are women. So, I mean, that's a pretty big statistic. And mm-hmm. we were going to eliminate them kind of, all, you know, from the mix. Um And we were trying to figure out if that was a good idea because, you know, niche businesses are really good. um, But at the same time, you know, we don't want to narrow our audience too, you know, too much. So we went on Reddit to get everybody's opinion. And and uh, and that was we I want to say we got like five thousand dollars in sales in like the first day or two. I mean, it was insane. And then a couple months later, we're still. We're still getting orders from it. I mean, it was huge. And there, huge. there are some uh, subreddits that I personally use. So I think being a member of the community first and kind of engaging, um, you know, not selling, not asking for opinions, but you know, throwing a comment in here, here or there, and just being a member of the community first, kind of uh, proves that you're not just there to spam, um, you know, particular subreddits. Um, but yeah, being a member of the community first has been really helpful for us. Yeah, and it helps too because we read other people's articles. I mean, Reddit's amazing. Yeah, one thing about Reddit for anyone that, that hasn't used it is that it's very easy to see uh, comments and post history of, by users. So I think this happens a lot where somebody will come in and uh, post something or post a comment and then people will dig through their history and find out that they, they're just on on the subreddit or in Reddit uh, just spamming or and not really participating in a, in a way that I guess it was designed for. And for anyone out there that doesn't use Reddit, the subreddit is just basically different topics uh, that, or I guess different uh, large topics that people can discuss as a group. So for you guys, did you what, what subreddits, if you're comfortable revealing them, what subreddits did you uh, focus on early on? And before you answer that, you know, because I think there's this idea of this question where, or not question, but I think a lot of a lot of uh, entrepreneurs will spend time in the business focus subreddits. Did you do that as well, or were you more focused on like you know candle specific subreddits? 
Um, I started out looking in uh, the subreddit R Candle Making and then just kind of put in my two cents and tried to learn as much as I could. There was a couple of particular members that gave me uh, some advice through private message that were really helpful and that kind of pushed us to moving to getting our candles manufactured um, by somebody that's better at it than we are. Even though we had finally perfected it, it was better to let us, you know, they let us know just to hand it off um, when we were able to. And then um, there's a new subreddit that we focused on called uh, Our Artisan Gifts. Um, that was a good subreddit. And then uh, we looked at Mail Living Space and uh, Our E-Commerce and Our Entrepreneur. Just just to get advice on the site, you know, it's not really a, a spot to brag. It's a, spot, it's a spot to find out what everybody else is doing and share ideas. A lot of people are very private with their businesses and won't reveal much because a lot of them are kind of FBA businesses where if, you know, a niche blows up, they'll lose their money. But we try to be as absolutely transparent as possible. And anytime anybody asks a question about what we're using, especially in those subreddits, what we're using to gain traction and find traffic, we, we have no problem telling them. Has this um, transparency ever worked against you? Has it ever backfired? Again, I think this is another topic that that uh, or not topic, but another marketing. Maybe not. Maybe not like intentional marketing, but another angle that a lot of businesses have have started where they are super transparent, talk about everything. It's a key kind of. Uh, topic in the, on their blogs to talk about their business, talk about their numbers. Um, but, you know, obviously there are potential downsides to it. What are your thoughts on that? Like, have you ever come across uh, or had any downsides from being too transparent? I mean, there's there's always a limit to transparency, of course. I mean, I shouldn't we shouldn't say that we're 100% transparent. Not everything should be given away. But really, are you going to put your trust in a company that's not willing to tell you how they're getting their traffic drawn to their website? It's mm-hmm. really about, um, you know, just being honest, I mean, I, I wouldn't buy something from a company that was dishonest or was shady or seemed like they didn't want to share something with me um, because they thought that I was going to take something from them. There's no reason that I'm going to steal your idea. If you know, we're willing to share because not everybody's going to be able to execute the way that we do. Right, makes sense. So, are you still driving traffic from Reddit today, or was it that just those original posts? Yeah, there, there's a, a subreddit that we not frequently post on, but we post on every, uh, I believe it's every 60 days is the limit. Um, it's, uh, our shut up and take my money. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever we've co- you know, whenever we post our, our candles on there, we seem to get a really good interest. And we, we do test posts between like a long form post or a very simple post. And I think simplicity in that space is key. People aren't really browsing. They're looking to read sentences. They just want to see what the product is, click on it and pay for it. And then tell you either how terrible you are or how great how great you are. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that that you um, mentioned the simplicity versus long form because I've seen both as well. And I do. I mean, I wonder for the longest time which one's more effective. But I think it, it makes sense in, in certain subreddits and maybe in Reddit in general. Um, a lot of people just it's just so much content on there that if you take up too much time, people are always asking like, "What's the you know TLDR? What's like the too long did right, read? Right. Like, what's the what's the gist of this?" So I think that's a good point that you want to keep is simple and don't make it a you know wall of text if you are posting on reddit um, so how do you how do you balance you know i think this is um obviously you can use reddit to to learn which was what you guys have been doing to 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 um to integrate with the community um but obviously you know some people might want to also generate some sales from it you know get get some get some i guess return for the time that they're spending in that community so how do you balance between uh, making sure that you're giving something back to the community and also 
you know, setting yourself up in a way where people want to buy from you that are, you know, do you, are you like putting like some kind of call to action at the end for them to buy, you know, because that would be very uh, much of a hard sell, like a hard pitch. Like how do you balance between creating value and not pissing off everyone on Reddit, but also making sure that you're still getting some return on the investment that you're putting into the community? So uh, we like to put up a coupon code, like a, a discount that comes with our, our posts. You know, um, it is a lot about giving back. I mean, we get valuable information from there and I think adding value to the community is important, but also giving them the opportunity to, to buy what you're selling and get real world advice is huge. And I mean, we made a test post, well I did on uh, Today I Learned, and I used one of my blog posts and it got shut down immediately. So there's no real back door to Reddit you have to be a member of the community. You have to give back. The moderators will see, moderators will see immediately um, that I think it's for every ten posts that you're putting in, you have to you know you have to take them back too. So when you're when you're putting up a post about you know we're selling candles, we also have to be involved uh, the other way around too. We have to be willing to take advice and willing to give advice that's not related or participate in a community that has nothing to do with what we're selling. It's not one big hard sell on there. It's kind of easing easing our brand into you know into onto people's faces you know here and there. We can't you can't just kind of walk into the male living space uh, subreddit and say hey our candles will look great in your living room. You're gonna end up getting downloaded to the bottom of the page and then you're not only are you irrelevant but everybody hates you too. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, Instagram, you said, was the other channel, and I think that might be even more successful than than Reddit for you guys. So tell us a little bit about the strategy there. Like what has uh, worked well for you on Instagram? Uh. For us, it's been content and uh, engagement. Um, typically, when we ask people to engage, they will not engage whatsoever. But if we're engaging and commenting and liking on other people's photos and, and seeming genuinely interested, which we are, um, it comes back to us. I, I think you know, I wouldn't say tenfold, but it comes back in a in a greater volume. Um, a lot of our traffic is definitely from Instagram. Um, we're not quite up to doing the you know a post a day or four posts a day like some people suggest, but we we try to do a, a post every two days or every three days with real relevant content. We don't want to just fill our feed up with trash. There's some companies that just put up um, like memes and unrelated content to just kind of get eyes on their on their Instagram. We like to curate and cultivate good. Uh, you know, in the field pictures and kind of create like a lookbook, I guess I'd call it. Mm, yeah, to actually see the the product uh, in its uh, I guess natural environment. Yeah. Uh, so now that you, so let's say that you are in, in, on Instagram, you're engaging with others in the community, you're talking back to anybody that's commenting your photos, you're posting, you know, uh, photos that people want to see, uh, and you know you have a strong brand on on your Instagram profile. You have a lot of traffic on towards your Instagram profile. How does that translate to sales? Like, how do you drive people from your Instagram to your site and you know eventually get them to purchase? Um, we just we have a discount. At the top of the page, you know, uh, use social 25 to get 25% off of a candle at waxandwick.co. And, you know, once they click on a picture uh, through, you know, through the various hashtags that drive the sales to there, we can funnel them to our website uh, if they hit the main page. So it's not quite um, per picture, although we do put up the discount per picture. I think people end up um, landing on our at our website when they see the the discount available at the top of our main Instagram, like, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a dashboard or a hub, but 
the front page of our Instagram shows the discount and shows our entire mm-hmm. lookbook. The bio, biography, yeah, like the bio part of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So in terms of running the store itself, uh, what kind of um, tools or apps do you guys rely on to, to keep it running? We don't really rely on too many tools. We use, uh, oh, what do we use? We use, uh, I, we have a toolbar, not a toolbar. We have a, a, a bar across the top now that's like a free shipping countdown. Um, we use MailChimp for integration. We haven't really done too much email marketing. Um, the couple of campaigns we've run haven't been too successful. Um, people are opening them, but they're not really clicking through. Um, we're using Printful for our T-shirts and um, you know different merchandise like that. And you know, Shopify really has a, a whole host of integrated applications, which is something that you know really drew us to the Shopify, Shopify platform in the first place. Is that Shopify really does have a handful of, of different tools for metrics and other things that help us really understand. Uh, you know, what pages are being clicked on, where we're getting conversions from to our website. Time spent on site. Time spent on site. Shopify really has offered a ton of different, um, you know, apps that they allow, which is, again, you know, a big reason we did go with the Shopify platform from the beginning is because there's a ton of, you know, third-party apps that can be used at little or no cost that do help us understand uh, our customer base, where they're coming from, how we're making conversions, uh, you know, managing reviews, that sort of thing. So those have definitely been very helpful in, uh, you know, helping us understand where our customers are coming from, how we keep them, um, and, and of course, reaching out to them in the future with other promotions or um, products that we may release in the future. We use uh, one that helped me. I, I write the content for the site, and uh, one, site, one app that helped me was Plugin SEO. Um, they kind of just run a live um insight into what your SEO looks like. And it noticed and told me that I wasn't doing enough blog content. So uh, I, I ramped up the blog entries and I was doing two a week for, I don't know, three months. And that really drove some traffic. There were a couple that hit, you know, 5,000 views and were, were bringing, um, they were bringing some quality uh, customers to our website. And then we use Receiptful for every, uh, every transaction you'll get a survey did you like the service? You know, and we get a lot of smiley faces, which is very good. Um, and live chat twenty four seven was a really good app. It'll pop up at the bottom, and we can um, we can immediately talk with a customer if they if they you know if they write something and leave an email. Unfortunately, it doesn't really save their uh, their information automatically, so we may lose one or two here or there. But um, the amount that we save from that has been has been great. Mm-hmm. And you said mentioned earlier in the podcast about uh, how important product reviews are for your business. Are you using the Shopify product reviews, or there is there a specific app that you're using for that? We yeah. just use the Shopify product reviews. Yep, that was the first app we installed, I believe. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Social proof it will go very far, especially if you're just you know brand new and no one's really heard of your product, no one's really used it. It's uh, really important people look out for what other people are thinking about your product or what they thought about your product after they've used it. Um, so yeah, definitely getting social proof you can get up on your site. Um, so you know, so what what are the plans for? Um, the, I guess you know, I guess we're already halfway past the year. What are the plans for the, the remainder of this year? What do you guys have lined up for uh, Wax and Wick? Um, we're just going to continue doing what we're doing. We're going to try, um, we're getting into retail space, um, offering some new scents. Um, you know, we want to launch two to three new scents by the end of the year. And I think the, the big thing at this point is actually trying to penetrate the, uh, 
the wholesale space in terms of getting into boutiques and stores uh, that would be interested in, in selling our product. We've had a lot of interest um, through our Instagram and other other methods of social media where people have been interested, had small businesses that they do sell, uh, you know, other products similar to ours. So we're finding that, you know, at this point now that we've built somewhat of an online presence and are drawing traffic that we do want to penetrate uh, the retail space, though we don't have plans to open our own retail store, uh, I think we definitely see the benefit to getting our product in front of other people's faces, though many people do purchase online. There's still a, a large group of people that don't purchase online, and, and I think that it's important. Um, one other thing that makes it you know, worthwhile to get into retail is being that the product we're selling candles. Um, unfortunately, there's not a way, of course, to, to smell the candle. <laughs> not yet. That, which is not you know, yet. Not yet, right? Yeah. Exactly. Maybe maybe that's something that that's know. the new tech we're working on yeah. this year. We're going to defend smell o vision. Nice. So, and so that's really you know that, that's another thing that has definitely been challenging. That you know I, I don't think we recognize the the challenge of, of how big of a challenge it would be from the beginning. But why is somebody going to buy a candle that they've never smelled? And so the only way that we're able to accomplish that is by doing the best we can to give them an idea of what the smell will be like. Um, our descriptions are very strong and, and very accurate in terms of how we display um, what the candle should smell like or, or be like. Um, and so again, going back to the the retail side, we're definitely trying to uh, get into the retail markets, You know, sell the wholesalers who can then uh, have our product in store for the people that do wanna see the product locally to smell the candles um, and, and pick out which is going to be the best fit for their home. Mm, very cool. Sounds like you guys are ready to really scale this up. So again, thanks so much, Kevin, Garrett, and Joe. Waxawick.co is the website. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Definitely Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I'd say Instagram is probably going to be our, our biggest revenue of, of new photos. Um, and our, of course, check us out online. Uh, the handle for our Instagram is wax underscore wick. Um, that's the probably the best way to see what we're doing. We do a lot of behind the scenes photos, um, and we, we like to, like I said, we like to share and be transparent. So you'll see, you'll see us making candles. You'll see us, you know, putting the candles up in the retail stores that we have currently, and and just you know putting our candles in particular areas. You know, Garrett likes to get up in the trees and shoot the candles with his fancy camera, and we we use that as like a, a catalyst for you know for our lookbook. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link all that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, thanks again so much. Again, waxandwick.co, uh, wax underscore wick on Instagram. Again, that all be linked up in the show notes. Again, thanks so much for your time, guys. Thanks, thanks Felix. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.